You're listening to the Taming Hindrances Podcast. Conversations about self-awareness and mental health, as well as a dive into this thing known as spirituality. We talk about everything and anything on the podcast, so come get triggered. Welcome to another episode of the Taming Hindrances Podcast. As always, my name's Phil, I'm the host and creator of the podcast, and I have another episode for you, and that episode has caused me quite a bit of strife. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say strife. It, it caused me quite a bit of contemplation and thought because I'm slowly trying to put together everything I've worked on with this podcast and everything I continue to work on as far as how I understand these things, how these understandings come to be of what this thing known as you know, spirituality is, what's this mind-body connection we call uh, heart, what's this you know, mind-spirit connection we call soul, what is heart and soul, and how do they connect it, and how's the depression all weaved into all of this, and what are all these ancient mystery things with, you know, like the Kabbalah and the Rosicrucian uh, cross, and all of these different representations of understanding of how the world works, or how, you know, more than just the world, the universe works, and how this other thing known as spirituality and all those things work. And in doing so, I did a bunch of drawings and writing and, and moving back and forth and trying to figure out what in the hell it is I should talk about. And I've settled, well, I've settled on another topic. And that topic, as you can see from the title of the episode, is known as void. Because often I have to work backwards in the way I understand things. I have to work backwards in the way I describe things just because that's how my being, myself, uh, works. Um, I typically find that I have an understanding of the end result or the maybe the finished piece or that of the uh, realm of destruction moving into chaos back to infinite possibility. And I essentially have an understanding of chaos. That's where I come from. My, my, my understanding comes from the understanding of chaos. Now, chaos being my definition of infinite possibility, the originating point of all things, the ending point of all things coming back to chaos after they move through creation, order, and destruction. So I thought I would delve into a topic that I once got into uh, for a bit back in the Waypoint episode, in episode 59, two episodes ago. And I, I will expand upon um, using that word specifically here, I will expand upon that idea. And that idea is known as the void. And so let's, you know, let's just grab a definition of void. And this is going to be more of like, yes, the title's void, but it's the void. This thing that often we talk about in theology and we talk about in philosophy and we talk about in self-understanding and self-awareness and mental health and a bunch of other topics as far as the mystery schools and mysticism and the woo-woo and all of these things combined. What is this seeking point? Where is this, where is all of this trying to take us? And I call it the void. So Merriam-Webster's dictionary, the definition for the void, we're going to get them straight to the noun, the, uh, Definition of the noun void is an opening or a gap, uh, empty space, such as emptiness or vacuum, the quality or state of being without something, lack or absence thereof, a feeling of want or hollowness, absence of cards of a particular suit in a hand originally dealt to a player. Interesting, uh, interesting connotation there for void noun. The verb is to nullify or annul, uh, to make empty or vacant, to clear out. The archaic use would be to vacate or leave. And, um, there's also discharge or emit. Jumping into the adjective, which is what we often use the word void for in common uh, English use, is 
uh, of no legal force or effect to null something to some, for something to be voidable, uh, containing nothing, void space, if you will, not occupied to be vacant, not inhabited to be deserted, to be uh, idle or leisure, uh, being without something specified, to be devoid of something, having no members or examples, um, that's going back to that suit of cards reference, and then to be vain and useless. I know that's a lot, but let's let's just kind of break it into where I'm going with this right off the bat, because I know I'm long-winded and my episodes get quite long, and some people just kind of want the uh, they want the stuff up front. So let's do that a little bit here. When we're talking about the void, the the other, the counter, the balance to what it is we exist in here known as the materium and the material world and the house of everything we, uh, we experience and experience being a very big part of this idea known as the void. We'll look at just exactly what the void covers and the void covers everything. It is the counter space. It is the opposite. It is the balance to all of which we experience in this life. The void is everything and nothing because it is nothing. It's no thing. It is the counter to all of the things that we measure. So when I talk about, you know, duality actually being Trinity, the coin of measurement here the opposite of the measurement when we're talking about it in that way, because we have to, it's not, this is where things get a little, a little dicey, a little complicated. Let's use it from the perspective of chaos, creation, order, and destruction, the cycles of how all things work. Chaos is not the void. In fact, chaos would be the antithesis to the void. It would be the opposite of the void. Chaos is infinite potential or infinite possibility and thus is all things. And the opposite to chaos is the void. In fact, the representation of chaos in the eight-pointed um, directional compass with you know cylindrical um, heliocentric circles protruding out to it as the as the chaos uh, arrows expand, that's the representation of everything exploding out from the void. Because the void is nothing, absolute no potential, no existence, nothing, absolute nothingness, absolute no potential. Everything opposite to chaos. In that regard, you know, when we have chaos and we can have creation, order, destruction, and then return to chaos, the void can apply itself also directly. The void is the opposite. It's the mirror. It's the flip. So if chaos is infinite possibility, the void is the balance to that. It's the opposite side of that equation. If creation is the the giving firmament or giving um, structure to things so that they can then be ordered, uh, they can be filled. The void is the opposite to creation. There is nothing, no creation. And if the ordering or the substantiality of things uh, represented by the yin-yang symbol, typically the balancing of sides, the measuring of whatever that coin we created was, the opposite to that would be to be devoiding it would be to not allow that to occur, right? And destruction, the breaking down of things or the completion of something so that it may return back to chaos, the balance there is also the void. And thus the void is this ever-present idea 
that allows for the cycle to exist. Without the void, the cycle couldn't actually exist. So in between everything, before and after everything, around everything is the void, is nothing. And from that idea, stepping back into the definitions here a bit, that's where we get at the idea to nullify, to annul, to vacate, to leave, to clear, to discharge, to, to omit something, to have emptiness or vacuum, to have lack, to have absence, to have opening, for there to be a gap, for there to be devoid, deserted, vacant, idle, uh, vain, to be useless, to be null. That's the void. And the void is the thing all philosophy, theosophy, um, understanding in this human experience, we talk about, we talk about it con in all of those things. We're talking about it. And in fact, we're trying to gain or garner an understanding thereof. And I come from an understanding of chaos, which means I come from an understanding of the void. A lot of times in mystical, uh, or mystic school meditations or in, um, just in general self-awareness or practice meditations, there is this, uh, specifically those in the Zen practices, and I believe in, in some sort of uh, realm inside of transcendental meditation and other, all of these forms of, you know, greater seeking of knowledge or greater seeking of self-awareness or meditative practice, not meditation itself, but meditative practice, the arts we practice, the, in all of these things, there is this thing known as the void. And specifically in Zen practice, uh, Zen meditations, there's the act of staring into the void or looking into the void. And it's what's well, a little bit misrepresented and misunderstood because not many people who do that come back unchanged. Or actually, in fact, I don't think there's anyone who tries to truly do that, comes back unchanged, and then to, has a good way to describe what's going on. In fact, I've struggled with it for a very long time to understand or not truly understand, but I mean, absolutely try to understand, but explain what this thing called the void is. If the void is the absolute substantiality of the opposite to everything that exists, the antithesis, the, 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 just the, just complete lack thereof of anything, Keeping in mind the verbiage and the vernacular I'm using to describe it, it's the opposite of that. It really has not, there's no description for it. It's unfathomable, cannot be fathomed. Can't be measured, really can't be understood. It's not supposed to be. Pieces of it are, not the whole thing. That's the best way to kind of wrap around the conceptual idea I'm getting here because it is a principal factor of all things. It is what allows everything to exist. Uh, if we want to take it into the realm of let's talk about another topic I was going to get into, but realized I needed to go through this topic first. We can talk about the, what is etheric, the, the ether, right? This thing that Paracelsus talks about um, many of the, alchemical writers in history have talked about. And that word ether is not just based in the sense of those types of writings. It's what we're also contemplating when we talk about cultivation uh, in the Eastern sets of things, you know, when we talk about key or chi or 
the chakra, uh, which is actually prana um, cultivators, those who are trying to go through the quote-unquote yogic meditations to unlock the kundalini, um, they have this idea of what I'm talking about here, this understanding of void, the place you must go through to get anything from because it's counter to. Uh, even in talking about, you know, coming back to the ether, that's in that sense. But we also have actually ether. It's it's said ether, but there's two different spellings. There's the modern traditional, which is E-T-H-E-R, ether. And then there's what would be kind of pronunciated ether, which is A-E-T-H-E-T-H-I-R. Um, ether physics is something that exists, which was uh, due to the... Corruption, in my personal opinion, of the Mickelson Morrison, um, I don't want to say research, it was an experiment that was later recreated and recreated poorly. Um, we've lost the idea of etheric physics. Etheric physics is what Boscovich deals in, it's what um, Nikola Tesla, Heaviside Faraday, is what most of these individuals dealt in. And that idea of etheric physics has been lost to history. And remember my history episode uh, and the oftentimes how I talk about history or the tales and stories we tell. When talking about that, we have this understanding specifically in alchemy known as the materium or the or, uh, material world and how it is a basis of light. Everything around you is just hard light. The opposite of that, that's void. It's not darkness. Darkness is a measurement of light. It's the absence thereof, the place in which no light exists, nor could, nor will, and the infinite idea behind that. If we have an infinite perspective of light, think about the world you live in. The world you live in, and, and just suspend disbelief here for a little bit about this whole understanding of like how we live in a world of material light, right? We live in a world where light is hard because i'll try to explain that a little bit but there's others who have done it much better um ken wheeler at a theoria apotheosis um on youtube has done a way better job than i probably ever can do um explaining this understanding of how the ether works how, how counter space and um how counter space works how magnetism works and how that gives us electricity but that, that's just a factor of light and how we live in a world of hard light we live in a material uh, world of uh, the, everything around you is light it's a light particle and we live in a world that uh, i think he kind of says um very endearingly is hard light you know we live in these this world where light has a substance contact we can make contact with it and so you know i, I would it would behoove you to go listen to his and stuff and I will do my best to explain it, but that's what we're dealing with here when we talk about void is the absolute opposite of that. And because we live in a world of infinite possibility of, of the factors of light, void is the count. It's the opposite to that. And so even when we talk about counter space, the place in which uh, we have the dielectric and, and you know, the one, so when dielectric, the dielectric plane and the plane of uh, magnetism pass over each other, we get electricity, right? That's what he talks about quite often. That's how electricity works. That, uh, that was Nikola Tesla's understanding. That is Boscovich's understanding. And, and although I do not quite contemplate all of which Boscovich has given us as far as his research and um, 
theory and philosophy on all of these things. I know enough to understand that that is a really good basic understanding of the world in which we live in. It's a crossing of these things that allows us to have something like electricity, which is only one factorial piece of a range of things that all exist as light. Some factor of it. And so the absence of light, the opposite of it, is void. And again, not darkness, because that's just a measurement of light. But the absence thereof, which would mean no existence. Keep in mind, your body as well is light. Right? It's just a, it's a, another hard version of light. Um, so it's the wall and the keyboard and the, the hamburger and the, the, the tree and the bladed grass. And, uh, all of it is light, a factor thereof, a wavelength of however you want to contemplate it. The opposite of that. Nothingness. So we don't have, because there is nothing, there's no thing. The absence, the void, is undescribably immeasurable. Just imagine infinity, right? Something that's you can't fathom infinity. It just you just keep adding one. It's infinite. There's never an end to it. And so, even if you could picture the biggest number you could possibly picture, you'd have to add one to that. And so, it's this unknowable thing. Infinity is unknowable the opposite of infinity. It's so finite, it's unknowable. And you can debate the microcosm and you can debate the macrocosm, but they too do not exist there. There is no scale because it doesn't exist. And if you gave it an existence, it would no longer be the void. That is the conceptual thing we're talking about here. And so having given you that grand trying to, you know, that grand explanation of trying to understand what we're talking about here, I want to make it a little bit more conceptual because that's, that's the best way to come at this. Um, the reason the void is important uh, for mental health, for self-awareness, for, mystical schools for schools of mystery for woo woo for tarot for divination for theosophy for philosophy is because without it we can't exist and because it itself does not exist or is no existence and is so unfathomable we do everything possible to quantify it Because the act of quantifying it is what gives us purpose. And that's something I've understood from a very, very young age. Uh, in fact, my last name, the definition of it subjectively would be void, would be that understanding. Uh, 
And so I find that to be personally some funny joke. Uh, the universe kind of threw out there coincidentally that I always kind of came back to of this definition of my last name is essentially that it's this thing, the void, nothing, no thing. And so with that in mind, I, you know, ran through what I've been going over, right? This combination of what is self, right? And self-awareness self is body, mind, and spirit. What is awareness attention to intentions? What is the combination of those intentions when it comes to mind and body? We call that heart. What are the, what's the attention to the, what are the intentions revolving around mind and spirit? That's soul. What are the intentions revolving around heart and soul? That's called depression. What are the intentions of our depression? What are the intentions of our mind? To quantify. We do that subjectively through the use of the why question, which is the home of the, the answers of spirit and soul and, and those things, which exist in what we call the ether or the etherical world that which we do not quite understand. In fact, we spend a lot of time as humanity and theosophy and philosophy trying to quantify that, trying to give it some semblance of subjectivity so that we might even try to give it objectivity. And we've created vast understandings, which I always find interesting that people cannot suspend disbelief even though we are suspended in disbelief itself these understandings of gods and goddesses and however you want to quantify that the realm of theosophy is a realm of stories and tales history of the necessity for dispending disbelief that there is some omnipotent presence that somehow gets to dictate your life not to say that's wrong thing in fact i'm here to say that it is no thing it's also part of the void we are trying to understand that. We're trying to understand void. That which gives us the ability to exist. That which gives us the ability to live and to experience and to breathe and to see and to taste, to have senses, to have the understanding of time which allows us to have the definition defini finding factors of like things like death and finality because we want to understand what occurs there right and so we can talk about the returning to the void and we have to kind of talk about like well what does that look like and so we come up with these understandings of theosophy we come up with these understandings of philosophy we come up with these understandings of things like reincarnation because the idea of reincarnation is that you have traveled there and back that you went to the long rest that you returned to the primordial egg which is in the embrace of the void and so we've been trying to figure out the halfway point or the midpoint or the waypoint. Any one of those understandings is fine of where this is, this life of experience and that in which gives us the ability to have that, which is void. 
it's probably never going to be something we understand because it, it can't be. And so we are given the ability, given the opportunity to have multiple fascinating understandings that can stem everywhere from we were a genetical experience, uh, experiment created by the Atlanteans or the Luminarians. Uh, we were created by an alien race in that realm that they were, you know, alien races that came here and did genetical experiments and we were it to that. We were the Christian God's creation to that. We were the Islamic God's creation. We were the creation of, uh, uh Yahweh, uh, Yedvihi. Um, the, you know, we are the Sephirothic, uh, continuation. Um, we're, the were the byproduct of the the findings of um Odin and the the Asir and we're the we're the ones that they liked the most so they kind of protect us from the other gods uh we are the emanations of the thoughts of Thoth and uh, Hermes and um, Ra and you know we are the mortal encumbrance of all anything fill in the blank at this point right none of those are wrong none of them can be wrong because there's no possible way that they can describe the thing they're trying to figure out. And so they're getting as close as they can possibly to conceptually understanding the principle thereof, which is there's this thing called the void, which is what allows us to have all those understandings, to have this experiential life. And so things like Jainism that try to explain reincarnation and try to explain uh, karmic law and dharmic law and, you know, the understanding of Hinduism from the Hindu populace and their understanding of what would be uh, closely related to um, Buddhism and Taoism and the understanding of death in general, which all forms of theosophy try to describe, including, you know, what would be relegated to the theosophy of, of the true American populace, the, the, you know, we call them native Americans now, but the regular American populace of the tribes that wandered North America and South America and all these things that have constantly tried to explain these things, just the Incas, the Mayans, the Hopi, the, um, um, Cherokee, the, you know, all of these people with all of their different understandings, I've always been trying to describe this thing, that which we return to, that which we should be worried about or fearful of or reverent of. And, and the reason for that is, be, is boiled down into there is this ruling peace that which might allow us entry back to or deny us entry to. This is what Dante writes about, you know, 
Dante's Inferno. The, the, talking about the layers of hell. In Dante's Inferno, there's this understanding that these are just places to rest. I know that's a funny way to put it, but those are Dante's Inferno is talking about the you know the seven layers of hell, quote unquote. But it's this these are places to rest designed for individuals who have done certain things to end them up there. But they're not the finality. They're just another part of it. And so we don't necessarily have the best ways to describe that interconnectedness of how all of these things can possibly be correct. And so to piss some people off, I might say that it's quite foolish of us to believe in one or the other while denying one or the other. In fact, most of them have similar principality of don't do wrong to one another, respect one another, treat one another correctly. You know, right action, right ways of living. Uh, Not much difference from that to telling the child, don't, you know, don't hit one another. Don't disrespect. Do respect. You know, all of these things that we would consider morally and ethically correct are found throughout all of these understandings of the reason to be wary of the void or where you can get stuck on your trip back to it. I personally, you know, I will share my personal understanding because it might give some contextual understanding or idea. And I'm not saying I'm right in any way. In fact, I'm probably wrong, which is fine by me. And I hope that you build your own understanding of these things so that you can have somewhere to look for your own little library, your own little respite, your own little place of doing research and understanding that you can come back to to kind of be like, no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, this is how I'm going to conceptually understand this. This is how I'm technically going to understand it. Oh, okay, this is the principle of that. And to get those understandings in that sense of um, being us, our home of our depression, I, ego, that which tries to make sense of these things, to have experience of it. My understanding is... A lot of these representations are communication with a waypoint. Um, And that waypoint is a reference of something that can be of your own connotation, but may be of its own connotation. Um, And so I'm going to paint a very uh, broad stroked picture to hopefully give a conceptual understanding of the way I see these things. Um, My current plausibility of how it might work. If we have us on this little planet, this little ball of rock and water and atmosphere and um, other species and and creations and ideas and understandings uh, of infinite complex complex nature, uh, if you will, um, constantly becoming more and com- more and complex every second. Um, 
which is um, a th- another theory I should get into at a different time. But um, Cliff High's um, little bloop theory covers this quite uh, greatly, actually. He does, a, he does a really great job of kind of breaking down what this looks like of what I talk about in the primordial cycles. We're constantly coming back to infinite possibility, chaos, more and more chaos, 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 infinitely. Just that's what chaos does. It infinitely becomes more infinite. That occurs by going through these cycles and Cliff's um, explanation is a repetitive cycle that happens to create the reality in which we exist in. So, Every, I, I think it's three trillion times a second, some vast number like that, 33 trillion or three trillion times a second, um, that cycle occurs. There's infinite possibility creation, order destroyed. Dunk, dunk, like a cycle, like you're, like you're almost claymation, which allows for that infinite possibility. In fact, the expansion thereof to continue to become infinitely more complex and we do that through experience uh, that he, uh, Cliff goes into the work of, um, of I want to say Vernadsky. Don't quote me on that. For, let me look it up. Vernadsky, because I always say Vernansky, and that's not correct. Um, who wrote uh, The Newosphere, uh, describing the biosphere. Uh, Vernadsky, sorry, Vladimir Vernadsky. Um, you know, who wrote... Uh, the biosphere, that's the book by Vladimir um, Vernadsky, describing the biosphere and how the necessity of our our world to ex- continue to exist relies on the action of, of experience. Or another way to understand that is the necessity for the cycles. Chaos only can become more infinite by having creation, order, and destruction. And that is cyclical. You pick up a plant, you eat the plant, you digest the plant, you, you know, have a bowel movement, we move on, right? You chop down a tree, more, you know, things grow. You, you know, do this, that. It's just this constant cyclical cyclical nature. And without our input, there would be a lack of growth so that it's constant. We are the part of the biosphere. The biosphere is part of us. That was just part of the newosphere. Fascinating understanding. I would highly recommend going and read. I will put a link in the archive, tamingindustries.com slash archive to um, Vernadsky's work. Uh, you can check it out there. You can check out Cliff's videos, which I have a link in the archive for to go check out his stuff where he explains this little bloop theory he has we're taking into account Vernadsky's ideas and then also this cycle and how there's this creation and destruction wave because we are wave form in sense of when we're talking about everything is light. Um, that uh, with that idea, um, I'm going to bring up one other person, which might give a better under, not a better, but an extra understanding. Um, again, Ken Wheeler's stuff on theory of apoptosis. I have a link of that on the archive um, to understand how this also will occur with the dielectric and uh, um, magnetic planes and their crossing, which gives us electric, which is a waveform pattern. Um, this is, you know, Tesla's work and those types of things. But also, uh, he references uh, one second here as I look it up. Um, 
because I always get it wrong. It's uh, Walter Russell um, and also his wife, uh, Lau, uh, who were the founders of the University of Science and Philosophy. Uh, Walter Russell wrote The Secret of Light, and that's a good understanding of how, you know, yes, everything is light and how the frequency of the original... Um, uh, what he considers the what the first atom, uh, which I believe is, I always get it wrong, but it's, uh, let me look at the periodic table just to make sure I give you the correct answer. I got to start actually doing this more, looking things up and giving you the correct answers. Um, periodic table, helium. That's the one I always get. No, not helium, hydrogen, hydrogen. I always say helium, but it's hydrogen. Helium's two, hydrogen's one. So how hydrogen is the first atom, which is a light frequency, Hydrogen is the first frequency in this material that we get to exist with. And then um, Ken Wheeler goes on to explain how, with that understanding, you can look at how there are places out in the universe that are just spewing out millions, trillions of particles of hydrogen, right? And then Cliff references that as far as how that is the complexity. We have these places where this wavelength of light is entering into the material world we live in this this realm of things that we exist inside of our experiences exist inside of is the way i'm going to put that to give us a better contextual understanding here and so there's a constant cycle wave of existing non-existing existing non-existing existing non-existing because that's the only way for the complexity to keep getting measured for the experiences to keep happening for the cycle to continue on and on and on infinitely and thus be chaos all of that said stepping completely backwards we have this thing known as the void the void in that representation is the reference point is that cycle and destruction wave Cliff talks about the point of crossing of the dielectric and electric plane of the point of magnitude magnetism that Ken Wheeler talks about the um, what would be considered the uh, measurement point of all light the wave the, the, the central point you know when you talk about a wave we have the cross and the trough uh, well, let me look up what the mid ground there is um, Wave measurement. We have the uh, the tref and the croft uh, tref, whatever it is. I'm losing my words here. They're not going well. Uh, measurement of waves. Here we go. Um, let's look at what I'm talking about. Uh, oh, oh, wait. I'm sorry. I'm talking about frequency. Frequency measurement. Measurement. Um, Frequency is measured by a wave function, and that wave function of a frequency is when the wave uh, crosses over the midpoint. I believe it's called midpoint. Um, in a specific time period, which allows us to have the frequency because we have the croft and the... Wait, I think I'm getting that. It's close. Um, Kreft and trough, I think, is the, that's the way it's supposed to be said. It doesn't matter. Um well, it matters and doesn't matter, but the, you know, so you have the midpoint, which is, you know, just a line going in one direction. And then you have the wave goes over that and it peaks and then it comes back down and it crests or no, sorry, crests and troughs. It, it hits another it peak at the bottom and then crosses back over the front point. Um, and so 
when it does that, that midpoint, that's the void. And that's what, you know, Cliff references as far as, um, where the point of destruction and creation, destruction and creation. I'm adding in this small piece here of that point is chaos, infinite possibility, but also void. They, they exist together in one thing. Um, so we have a pretty good understanding of what that looks like uh, as far as physics. And again, this is a theoric physics, uh, but also we've had that understanding in a lot of different places as far as, you know, the mystic schools and um, just, just all of history, <laughs> all of cultural understanding, all of these reference points, um, you know, just, just, just a ton of, I'm trying to go through the archive here to give you even more like places to talk about. Alan Watts talks about it. There's another one. Uh, you can check out the archive for, uh, Alan Watts who's a great um, speaker who brought, um, a, gr- a really good understanding of Zen to the Western mind. Um, Dr. Ibrahim Karim talks about it when he talks about biogeometry and he's talking about, uh, the differentiation of, um, qualitative versus quantitative you know, we often try to quantify. He likes to qualify. Give something a qualitative representation because we don't look at that very often. And that's an important joining piece. So these are the things that I've put together to try to understand this understanding. I've kind of always had of this thing called the void, this, this counter space or opposite. I have idea of what this life is. Because understanding it's what gives this life any form um, at all. So with that, we have the world of human experience. It's what allows for, for that understanding of all of these understandings that I've given so far, um, even into something like the Mahayana and the Vishnahana, the greater and lesser canons of Buddhism, um, into the great works of time and ages and the great understandings of the world around us, just the world and its complexity all stem from this thing called the void the opposite that allows us all to exist. And so with all of that said, I hope you understand my struggle to kind of explain that because at one side of it, we have all of these beautiful understandings and at the other side of it, we have possibly the reasons for all of those or what they're chasing but then we also get to the void itself and what that actually represents as far as our subjectivity to objectivity, our qualitative to quantitative, our destruction and creation, our understanding of etheric physics in that sense, the dielectric and 
electric planes, what magnetism is and how it functions. The void is nothing. It is literally no thing. It's what everything returns to and also is. It's the reason people get to say life is a gift. That it's a beautiful thing that we get to have these human forms to experience things in. It's the reason people say the world is light and love. It's the reason people also get to say that life is a horrid, terrible suffering. It's how we manifest and how we imagine and why those things are connected and also important to our existence. It's what makes souls or the idea of having a soul so very important that we fight wars over it. It's what makes resources and the scarcity thereof an important topic, be they being scarce or not. It is definition of necessity or need that there's the measurement for there to be literally nothing. I understand it a bit differently than most. My entire life has been a terribly written research paper about finding a way to return to the void. Because I look at reincarnation as a trap. Um, that by all standards, the way reincarnation, including that in which it is to go to heaven or to go to a hell, for there to be an afterlife, that they're all traps. They're all another waypoint on the trip back to the void. And so I often give the example, again, broad, I know I'm taking a while to get to it, but broad brushstrokes of what this could look like. If we have us here on earth, right? And then we have the void somewhere off in the distance. We have these things called souls, or there's these things called spirits or understandings of, uh, just understandings. And they send a signal out to get back to the void, to talk to the void. It's so unperceivable, unfathomable, um, just, just, there's no good word to describe the inability to even get there. As far as being existent and then trying to get some response from the void. You can only return to, to be nothing, to not exist ever again. 
while also having the ability to exist infinitely. Because that's the counter space of chaos, right? So by existing, you are giving the void substance and just think about it that way. Cause you're really, there is no substance cause it's the void, but okay. Think about it the other way around by the void existing or not existing. It gives you the ability to exist. And so you are the counter to it. And there are some of us, and I'm sure there have been many throughout all of history, all of, all of existence in every universe, galaxy, go everywhere, right? That have a call to, that have a want for, that have an understanding of the necessity for the void and would much rather just be part of the void than to be doing this, this constant revolution of cyclical nature Because yes, I do have a very good understanding of chaos. I always have. But it doesn't mean we always want to be a part of it. And so I think there's a subset of individuals who have that understanding and have no way to explain it and have a poor understanding sometimes of what their actions here in this life might accomplish to get back to that thing they really want to get to, that they want to take that trip back to the void. And in the interim, there are those who want to try to talk to the void or get a response for the void or get an understanding of the void or reach out to the void. And instead what they find is the, waypoints, the intermediaries between that, which is in between us and the void, which could like look like gods could look like quote unquote spirit or those downloads from individuals who work in the realm of tarot and divination um, conversations from God or uh, some sort of spiritual intellect, or even just a fucking alien race that someone might happen to be talking to during a sweet psilocybin trip or a fucking, you know, DMT trip, right? Like we have so very little understanding that by ruling these things out, because we think we're intellectually intelligent, not understanding that we are so infinitesimally fucking stupid in a good way. We don't, we don't get that ability to look into this further, to kind of research and figure out what might be, a way to qualitatively quantify or to quantify qualitativeness, to have subjectivity and objectivity both exist so that we can have a greater realm of understanding. Instead, we'd like to just say something is ridiculous or non-science or jackasses like fucking Anthony Fauci saying that he is science. To, to, to think he's wrong is to be against science. No, you don't get to be fucking science. And it's the same for the religious leader standing in front of millions of people, getting them to buy them fucking jet planes and saying, 
oh, you know, I talk to God and God says this, and this is what the Bible says. It's fucking preposterous because these individuals can't even fathom the infathomability of the void. In fact, it's to the point where they never even thought about it. They never have even thought about the void, the place at which nothing exists. The place in which, in someone like Cliff's uh, theory, we return to the whole universe, whole to reference what could be thirty-three trillion, three million, three bajillion—it doesn't matter. The number doesn't fucking matter. In a cyclical pattern, to allow for us to exist, that we have—it's the reference point for existence to occur. They don't think about that. So when they make those statements. They are trying to be a waypoint between us and the void. And the truest thing I can ever really explain to you, the understanding I've had from the very beginning, the reason celebrities don't awe and inspire me, the reason most people don't impress me, the reason I don't get starstruck, or the reason... I genuinely don't even look at someone and be like, oh yeah, you're really someone I want to like, like respect more than myself or someone else. The reason everyone is on an even plane for me is because I have this understanding that the only reason you exist, I exist, anything exists is because of this all inspiring, unfathomable piece of reference point known as the void. And so your importance is non-important, which gives us the understandings when we talk about reincarnation and those understandings, everything from the Inca, Hopi, Cherokee, Indians to, or tribes, I should say, not Indians, tribes, um, to the Hindu people, to the Japanese, the Chinese, to the Germans, to the Swedes. I don't care what classification, under uh, cultural reference. I don't give a shit about any of that. It's all just ways to break us up into different people. Just every understanding someone has had from what we call the beginning of humanity to where we are now is just somebody trying to figure out why the fuck they exist. Because I think intrinsically everything has the understanding that they don't need to. And they also do need to at the same time. So they try to figure out that weird balance of qualitative, quantitative, subjective, objective. And that's what I've been trying to describe with this understanding of self and self-awareness and the mind-body-spirit connection and what that all kind of looks like and the kind of the verbiage and vernacular we can use to better talk about it or understand it. It all comes from this understanding I've always had of this thing called the void. That for all of those references that I was talking about historically, how they have some sort of return trip to for reincarnation, those reference points from beginning to now that reference this reincarnation cycle, you know, be it from the primordial egg or to the long sleep or the rainbow bridge or rainbow uh, direction through the scars 
um, to the return to a constellation, to star seeds, to all of these things, right? Are talking about the return to the void and then the coming back therefrom, which means they never actually fully made it to the void. But we kind of want to, kind of trying to. Now, in some cases, people don't want to do that. In fact, the entire, um, I'll call it an obsession of the Egyptian culture ancient Egyptian culture was to understand this thing called death and to find a way for them not to have to get to the void and, and be stuck there. They would be able to return somehow. And thus you have the whole process of mummification and the sarcophagi, which would then be buried in a tomb and that tomb would be placed specifically so that it would have these connections to uh, something we don't quite understand this etherical understanding and that individuals uh, in the employ of that person would also join them in the death. And then other people of employ would then bring fresh fruits and uh, fruits and vegetables and food and, and water and things that had uh, animus or well, well, not really actually animus because animus, a different version of animus, um, more Latin animus than English animus because animus means something much different than the Latin animus does, but would have this energy that the person come back, could come back to, to their, their body, this physical form left here and use that to walk this plane of existence. All of that was so that they didn't get trapped in the void, that they would have no return back. There's also been a set of people who have sought that to get back to the void, to never have to reincarnate ever again. Uh, when we actually talk about reincarnation, we talk about the Janus, the karmic dharmic laws. There's a couple different methodologies you can use. In fact, there's a lot of different methodologies you can use to understand that, but better than understand it, apply it to what you would want to do with it. Right? So say there is again, spending disbelief just for just a bit for me. If there is this thing called reincarnation, and if there is this law of set or, or a set of understandings you know, as karma, and that karma is life dependent, it, it's, it's multiple lives, right? And the understanding is to try to eliminate, really, to balance out your karma. And you do that through dharmic process, which is the actions in this life. The life you're currently living or the next life, you do that's the dharmic actions are during the life of the physical form. To, to help solve or resolve the karmic uh, change in the lifelong process of the soul or spirit or whatever the understanding there is. Um, then there's a couple different processes, right? If you wanted to reincarnate all the time and constantly be in experience of this life, you could do it multiple different ways. You could be a shitty person and then constantly have to come back and live, you know, maybe a shitty life to just continue experiencing because experience is something you could be, uh, I guess the soul could be addicted to, or you could be the person that's trying to solve all the karma so that you don't have to do this very often. You just do it like a vacation every once in a while, or, you know, so maybe like, you know, you could get to the, let's put it in like the perspective, like you're just about to get your karma completely solved. That very last life that you'll ever have to live before you never have to reincarnate here ever again. And then you think like, 
nah, I kind of want to do this again. So you do like one little dharmic thing that would make your next life like pretty great, you know, measurably wise, qualitatively wise. Um, but you would still have to do it again. You could make that decision. They're like, you're like, no, nah, I'm not quite done yet. I kind of want to, kind of want to see what happens in a couple thousand years. I'm going to come back and see what, see what we're up to. Or you could be like some people who, you know, we call the ascended masters. The, they say that in the, the different understandings of how all this works. You have these people called like the, the ascended masters who decided to solve their karma, but not actually return to the void. They're somewhere in between. Um, that's the idea of transcendental meditation is to be transcendental, to be outside of that or what's considered the primordial egg sphere and to be in a different sphere. The idea between the biosphere and the newosphere and Vernadsky's understanding, that point of flexion, uh, what Cliff talks about in his little bloop theory of the cycle of uh, destruction and, and, and uh, creation, that flip-flop, um, which involves the idea of chaos and order, but that point of reference that just keeps cycling over the midpoint, right? Um, the dielectric, electric, uh, the point of magnetism, essentially. Um, I'm sorry, dielectric magnetism, the point of electricity, like that flip-flop, uh, which uh, there's so much I could get into. I'm not going to get into. Um, the spewing of complexity as far as the, the hydrogen atom and then the wavelengths thereof and just all of these things or um dr ibrahim kareem's uh biogeometry of the uh, the bg uh, uh spectrum of of energies and the qualitative versus quantitative and the balancing structures thereof like all of these things all of these things so you get to decide so again suspending disbelief anything's ultimate chaos right what do you what would you want would you want to come back and see the earth in a thousand years and see what we got up to even though you wouldn't remember your past life knowing that you wouldn't remember you have to cross what they call the veil or, or the outside of the primordial egg into like all, all of these different explanations to go to heaven your heaven if you're if you're inside the Christian realm of things, but then be able to return a thousand years later to see what we got up to. To be like, yeah, hey, you know, heaven was great for a while, but you know, I was like part of my heaven experience is I want to go back. Right? If if the definition or defining feature of heaven is that you get everything you could possibly want, the golden brick roads, the house of your import to the way you exalted your God, one of the choices could possibly be I want to take a vacation back to earth for a little while and just see what's going on down there. Put me in a body, right? There is an understanding of that in the Bible. There is an understanding of that description in, uh, there's no heaven in Judaism, but there is an understanding of the possibility thereof that that would be a, a, a possible path, right? Um, cause you're returning to a body or returning to the greater whole, but then again, Islam, same thing. Like if, you know, um, if you followed the five pillars of Islam, you would be rewarded by Allah. And Allah might say like, hey, would you like to go back? When would you like to go back? That's your reward. Like those are possible understandings. That's the understanding of, you know, in the Nordic traditions with um, the pagan communities, specifically those that follow the Norse 
pantheon that we call the Norse pantheon of the Odinic mysteries um, to be to be part sorry I'm, I'm thinking ahead here and oftentimes I know when I'm kind of verging on the things that I probably should talk about not talk about or not allowed to talk about who knows the whole understanding there and my brain kind of gets stuck on a, a like mm, you gotta talk about that huh like mm, I don't know about that anyway uh, so the Nordic understanding or, or sorry the Odinic mystery understanding where warriors would picked out to go to Valhalla, right? And Valhalla would be the place where the warriors would feast with Odin and the warriors of the Aesir in getting ready to take, uh, to take part in what's known as Ragnarok. And Ragnarok was when um, multiple things would happen, but essentially it's considered what would be known as the apocalypse. But the understanding there is that happened regularly. Ragnarok wasn't just one point in time. It's at least how I read it and I understand it. Because it's just my understandings. And I've talked to some people that they have a very similar idea. Is that the option was there that the warrior would remain a warrior's soul and spirit forever. That the Valkyrie would come down and take that person's soul or, or spirit or you know being. Take them to the halls of a hall. And one of the reasons that would might occur, we don't really think about it this way because we don't, we like to, you know, modernize this into like things like the Viking. Great. Yeah. Fun show, you know, and, but the real truer understanding of that is this was someone who was so ingrained into battle, whose, whose will to be a warrior, their spirit, soul, every fiber of their being and existence was that. And thus the Valkyrie must come save them. Valkyrie would come down and this is why not everyone could go to Valhalla. It's not a true statement that everyone was allowed to go to Valhalla. Every, cause you died in battle. You were allowed to go to Valhalla. No, you might be chosen. And a, a more truer understanding that in my personal opinion, I could be completely fucking quackery and completely wrong is that the Valkyrie would save that person from never being able to do that again, that they had so they had found their absolute being. Their absolute being was to be a warrior on the battlefield. And because they had understood their absolute being, the Valkyrie would come down and save them from ever being anything else ever again. From being a farmer, from being a husband, from being a wife, from being a child, from being uh, a peasant, from being a king, from being a queen, from for being... Uh, a washerwoman from being a tailor, from being a seamstress to save them from being anything other than a warrior for the rest of their existence, be it here on this plane or another. And then the Valkyrie would take them to the hall so that they could feast and dine and then go and outside every night, every day and fight to the last person was standing. And then that person would be the, the, um, so the, the truest story of it all is that, so you're, it's your invocation. Inv I know I'm all over the place right here, but I'm just trying to give a bunch of different understandings. You're in Valhalla, you know, so you died on the battlefield. The Valkyrie came, took you to the home, the house of the Asir in Valhalla. And every night you would fight. Everyone would leave the dining halls, go out into the courtyard and slaughter each other. 
because that's what their fiber of their being was. They were warriors at the very core essence of who they were. And so they slaughter everyone. They would all be revived back into the hall of a hall. And it was a, a training thing. They would, this was them training for Ragnarok. And so every night they would do this. And then the person who survived the last person alive would be that who was celebrated that night of revelry and dining and, and then they would go out and do it again and again and again and this was the training for the point of Ragnarok the end of all things but the end of all things in that connotative understanding is a multitude of, of things that would happen to bring about return to the void the void being represented as um what we more see in the Greek mythologies with the Titans and the returning to chaos, right? The, or the chaos being the primordial that brought things into existence and then chaos coming back and taking it all away. That's the void. And so just an understanding like that, that like that was the choice that that person got to make on the battlefield. That's the Odinic mysteries. Now there's another one that I've always intrinsically known and uh, has been kind of lost to time a little bit. And it's the understanding of the Druidics. Um, understanding of the Druids. Um, it, it, it's complicated because we think of Druids and we think of like fantasy. There was an order of people known as the Druids. And there's even orders inside of that understanding that aren't quite well understood. Um, typically there, you know, most people think of the Druids of coming from Ireland, but um, there was actually the Scottish Rite of Druids. Uh, it's this understanding. There were Druids everywhere. The title, or what we call the traditional understanding now of Druid, were people of the trees, uh, specifically of the oaks, um, the oak in mind. Um, and we have the Gaelic order, we have the Scottish order, we have the North Norse order of the Druid. Druids were mystics, essentially, or those individuals who looked into the void. And so every culture, I'll say, or understandings that I'm talking about here, had some sort of individual who fit that description. We have the wise seers of the uh, Nordic, of the Odinic uh, mystery schools. We have the um, Oakenmind or the uh, Druids from the Dryad um, of you know the Gaelic schools or the Scottish uh, mystic schools, which also go into the European. Uh, we have um, the soothsayers was a word. We had the witch doctors. We had um, the higher orders of witches and wizards. And, and I know all these sound like fantasy terms, but these were people that described in history quite often. These individuals were the individuals who were known at looking into the void. We had the bone casters. We had the uh, most of the, the wise ones of the gypsies. Um, we had... Uh, just there's been all sorts of titles for these people, but these are people who, who looked into the void and would tell your fortune or tell, you know, the, you know, tell history and stories or do magic or 
all of these different fantastical tales and stories. Remember, I talked about history. It was tales and stories, mostly made up. But there's this understanding of looking into the void, and when the void looks back at you, or looks into you, to stare off into the void, that realm of things is a place where you get to converse with chaos. Because at the very edge of it, and again, this is all contextually conceptual, just trying to give a, a painted picture, a broad stroke painted picture of kind of what it looks like. You get to have a conversation with chaos because that's where chaos lives. Chaos and the void live together. In fact, most of the mystery schools and most of the theosophical understandings and philosophical understandings and all of these different writings that we've always been chasing this understanding of the void, void is chaos's lover is the way it was written um, specifically in some of the Greek uh, traditional writings, uh, Mesopotamian, Byzantine understandings. Um, there was this understanding that chaos had a lover and chaos was constantly running away from their lover. Is this, these are the tales and stories that were told about this to give the understanding of the contextual nature of the conceptual idea of what chaos and void are, right? Chaos is constantly running away from its lover because its lover is the balance to it. It's nothing. And so if chaos were to embrace its lover, that would be the end of the world. And not just the end of the world, it'd be the end of all things. And so chaos's job is to constantly be infinite possibility. The void is the embrace of chaos. It is chaos's lover. It will always be there for chaos whenever it decides to come home or come back or needs, needs some new reason to exist. It thanklessly, emotionlessly, in pure emptiness, is always there to give chaos a new reason to keep going, a new reason to come up with something new, a new reason to be infinite. And so the void grows and grows and grows and grows by not growing. You've got to think about it the other way around there, right? But we're just using that terminology to the massness of the void. So when we... we we seek the void, when we look into the void, those of the druidic orders, those of the soothsayers, the, they've come by many names and maybe even today there still are names for them, but it's a specific set of people who stare into the void and allow the void to look through them or look back at them. And so they want to enter the void to do that, you would be granted great understanding because you're essentially giving to chaos everything it needs. This could be solving your karma. This could be solving your dharma just in this path. This could be, there's so many different versions of this. 
But the individuals who practice that are also the individuals who, when I'm talking about that representation of what would you choose? Would you choose to come back in a thousand years? Would you choose to reincarnate? Would you, are the individuals who would choose not to do any of those things? To finally to not exist, to be never existing ever again, to return to the void, to be of nothing. And again, some people go about that because they feel it so intrinsically to themselves. Just like the warriors of Valhalla were picked by the Valkyrie because they were so intrinsically, essentially, soul, spirit, everything, every piece of them was warrior. So much so that they were preparing to fight Ragnarok, the end of all things, which I can get into another time, has a lot to do with also this story um, in the Odinic mystery schools. But there was also, a, in that regard, right, that type of um, individual, we'll call it, that type of depression, we'll call it, to be that, specifically that, nothing else. We have those individuals who also want to be void. I... I have to include myself in that understanding. I want to be nothing else but void. To not exist. To be of no... To be nothing. To, to just be that counterbalance to all things. The, the stepping off point for chaos. The the point at which it comes back to, to constantly balance itself and then recreate more itself because so much so that count, uh, the void is doing that for chaos. Chaos does that for the void. Chaos is the running away from the void is the reason the void gets to be the void while also not really being anything. And I know it's, Again, principally, it's really fucking weird and hard to fathom, but conceptually, that's the kind of understanding that that there are these, the story was told that there's these two lovers and there was chaos existed and chaos's lover came to chaos to embrace chaos and chaos ran from its lover and thus created worlds and universes and galaxies and inhabitants and, you know, all of these things. It is the original primordial. And at the very beginning of it all, there's this thing, the void, this being, if you will. And the separation of these two were what allowed for what we are and what everything used to be in, um, in the vernacular for traditional Chinese medicine, but also like Tai Chi and those, uh, the, the Eastern meditations and cultivations, that's what's known as Wu Chi. And so when Wu Chi stopped being Wu Chi, that everything that which came before, and there was this point of commencement, then there's the separation of sight. And that's how I, you know, that's how I list out the primordial sets, right? We have chaos, creation, order, and destruction. Those are the primordials, right? Chaos being the original primordial gave birth to the other primordials. The birth comes from its interaction with the void. Chaos was and the void was, where there was nothing, essentially. There was really only the void. And but for the void to continue to exist, it, it needed to give birth to the opposite of it. 
thus the existence to exist, to be created. And so chaos and the void birth creation. And then creation is really nothing without something else. And so in order for chaos to continue to be infinite, everything, things just need to be created constantly. Well, how do you create something from nothing? You return to the void. But if you're going to return to the void, you have to bring it something. And so you must be ordered. So you have the original primordial of chaos, and then you have the next primordial creation. Creation is essentially the child of nothingness and infiniteness. You have creation. They create something. And once something is created, it must also be both of, quote unquote, its parents in this regard. Nothing and everything. How do you do that? You balance it by giving it two sides because that was what happened originally. Void and chaos. The void and chaos bring about creation. And once something is created, both void and chaos must be part of it. And thus it must have two sides and we have order. But in order for that union to exist, there must also be no union. They must be able to be broken apart again, unless we have destruction. And so that they will return back to chaos. Now, returning to chaos is also returning to the void. And so there are a subset of people who, with every piece of their being, just want to be back to the void and not back in the cycle of chaos because chaos is part of the, is the original point of the cycle. It is commencement is when Wu Chi stops being Wu Chi and starts to move towards becoming, or it does become then Tai Chi. And so we have chaos, creation, order, destruction, chaos, creation, order, destruction. Some people don't want to be in that cycle. And the only way to get out of that cycle is to be the antithesis of cycle to be void. For there to be no cycle. And so that's my understanding of the void and the void is a, a weird topic. But the reason I bring that up now is because um, next episode, I'd like to talk about ether because the next, next step up so far, we've discussed what's considered the ex external um, or will be considered the material, the materium body, mind, and spirit. Those are material. They're the part of the materium. Um, I've also talked about the internal and the internal is also two part of materium, but it's the microcosm macrocosm here. So we have macrocosm materium, body, mind, and spirit. We have microcosmic materium, heart, depression, and soul. And so that's the internal work and the external work. There's also one step above that, which all these things that I've been talking about, all these mystery schools, all these, you know, secret societies and all these things have been, theosophies, theosophies have been seeking out. And that's the understanding of the etheric side of that. And so we need to talk about what the ether is and what the aether is and all of those things. But first we needed to understand the void. Why, 
that is a point of existence, why that is another layer, because that's the place between chaos and the void is this ether or ether. And so it is this ever expanding and ever contracting place. It's all of these different understandings we've had throughout all of history. And it includes all of these different understandings that we could possibly still have because it kind of steps out of time and space. You know, th- th- I'll get into much more of it with, when we talk about the, the Aether episode, which will be next episode. But for now we have this understanding of void now, hopefully. Um, or at least some, you know, something you can tell your friends about some nut job you heard on the internet talking about this thing called the void and how, you know, he has some call or understanding of it that he's always had since he was a kid. Um, but that's where, that's where my background, uh, of understanding comes. I've always had that understanding of the void that there's this thing that I would much rather return to than ever have to reincarnate ever again, because I think it's an animus, um, which uh, I always, I thought about doing an episode on animus, uh, but to finish up this episode, I've never done this before. We'll give you a second definition. Uh, the definition of animus, not the Latin definition, the English definition of animus is a, uh, a usually prejudiced and often spiteful or malevolent ill will. Uh, to be animus is that um, a basic attitude or governing spirit, disposition, intention, those types of things. So when I talk in that regard it's that's how i come up with my theory of we're probably just cattle in the grand scheme of it you know we're probably just some sort of measurable commodity that's the reason for our existence and to not return to the void to be stuck in this repetitive cycle that we're always trying to kind of keep ourselves in is that that we have to be harvested in some way and so to get out of that is the right answer to not reincarnate to never want to do that ever again in any version of the cycle of reincarnation because the reincarnation of just the physical um, human life or that type of physical material life. There's also that at the internal and the external and the etherical. And that's why we'll get into ether and all those things. But that's what I got for me from now. I can go on and on and on. We all know that. Um, and I try not to do that as much as possible anymore, even though I still tend up to end up at, look, we're even at an hour and a half. I tried to keep it under the two hour mark and lower than that. I even tried to keep it around an hour. I think I got most of it out of it in an hour, but uh, what can we get into? Definitely please go over to tamingindress.com slash the archive and look at, you know, Ken Wheeler stuff, theory apophosis, uh, Cliff High stuff, um, Russell Walter, Liao Walter, um, their work, um, Dr. Ibrahim Kareem's biogeometry work, um, and a bu- there's a bunch of other people on there uh, and other organizations and understandings. Uh, just try to kind of keep a collection of all these different things. Um, that I've come across. There's more that I probably need to add that I still forget about. Um, I've never even put on like the works of like Paracelsus and uh, Theocritus and um, Iamblichus and all the Stoics. And uh, I believe Marcus Aurelius's uh, Meditations is on there. I'll link to that. But all of these different other pieces, you know, there's, oh, um, another great one is uh, Sacred Geometry. Um I'm blanking on the name. I apologize. But uh, the individual who does sacred geometry, who I often get confused with someone else. I'll give you here in a second. Uh, might as well. Uh, where is the link? 
I don't even have it here. I apologize. I should be better at this. Um, doesn't matter. I look too many things up. Let's just head over to the archive and find it. You're probably already heading out already or to head over there. Uh, but yeah, check out the archive because there's a ton of stuff on there that I reference um, throughout all of these different interests. Oh, Alan Watts, his talk on the, um, the Zen, and he talks a little bit about the void as well. Um, that's not, I was talking about sacred geometry, which is, I'll search it, uh, geometry. Nope, nope, nope. Randall Carlson, there we go. Randall Carlson with sacred geometry, who also uh, gives a wonderful, um, wonderful telling of really what I would consider better or truer history. So check out Randall Carlson stuff, but he does talk about sacred geometry, which gets into some of these things as well. There's just a lot on there, you know, just check out the archive. Uh, and then because it helps out the podcast, if you would like to uh, help out the podcast in any way, there's a couple things you can do. You can head over to taminghindrances.com slash archive, and then go down to the link for, um, Pure Bulk, purebulk.com offers a bunch of awesome supplements. I highly recommend their immune supplement and also their multivitamin together combined. It's just two easy things you can take every day to kind of just keep the body just doing generally what the body's supposed to do. And it's nice. They're cheap all together. It's like, uh, I think it's $24 plus shipping. So a multivitamin and uh, the immune support, get them now before you know prices go up because eventually that's going to happen given the economic situation of the world right now. Um, but yeah, pure bulk use taming hindrances, uh, check out for 10% off your order and I get a small commission helps with the podcast. Please, if you can leave a review on your chosen, uh, podcast platform or head over to taminghindrances.com slash contact and fill out the review form or the contact form on that same page. You can find my booking, uh, contact form. If you'd like me to do any public speaking, I have a background in public speaking and would like to get back into that in some way or another. So I'm happy to come speak at your event if we can make it work. Uh, what else? That's pretty much it. Reviews are great. Share the podcast with friends, family, um, send it out on Twitter or, you know, anywhere that you can do all that sharing stuff. I'm terrible with social media, but I'll ask you to help me be better with it by sharing it all throughout places. But really, honestly, you know, have conversations. That's really honestly what I'm asking here. Have conversations about mental health. Have conversations about self-awareness. Talk about all this weird, crazy shit because it's fucking awesome and we can we can do a better job of that. So I will uh, get the etheric or the ether episode ready for next episode and I will see you there. As always, just remember to breathe. Take care. Listen to the outro uh, to do those things or don't listen to the outro. Just, you know, come check me out on the next episode. I will talk to you then. Thanks for listening. Come check us out at taminghindrances.com for show notes, links, resources, and more. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, or your preferred platform. If you leave us a spiffy review, we might just mention it on the show. Now go be awesome. And just remember to breathe.